Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you You'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, so I am thinking about buying a piece of art. Can I get your opinion on it? Uh, you bet, Amy. Okay, so here, let me find a picture on the website. Here, here, it's a sculpture about the size of a shoebox. Oh, that's cool. It's got a nice uh, green lawn, a fluffy miniature tree, an adorable umbrella, and a family sitting around a picnic table. Wait a second. Are those dismembered body parts? Um, they sure are. See, this is a diorama by artist Abigail Goldman. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced diorama. Not in this case. Abigail calls her fictional mini crime scenes dioramas because each one contains a tiny victim who's been shot, stabbed, dismembered. You get the idea. I work in a scale that's one eighty-seventh the size of real life. So if I want to envision a scene that, say a person being put through a wood chipper, I have to ask myself, well, how am I going to find or make a tiny, tiny wood chipper? You're an artist, a true artist, but... (laughs) An artist working in blood. Yes, an artist working in miniature blood scenes. So, So there was one that I saw that was called the Atkins Diet, where you have people... Uh, eating a nice picnic lunch of dismembered body parts. Walk me through how you came up with that idea. Well, I had sort of a vision of a picnic. I think like a picnic setting is sort of this nice, charming, you call it, you know, green grass, nice day. And so then, but then you just have this vision of like, well, rather than them eating sandwiches or hot dogs, let's have them eating arms and legs. So, you know, again, it's just it's sort of the thing that comes to you. It's an idea that comes out of nowhere and you just play around with it and roll with it. So it was just a matter of hacking up other little people and cutting off their little arms and legs and putting them on trays. Well, Amy, I do like the piece, but uh, I mean, it's definitely kind of morbid. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it is morbid, and Abigail admits that she has a bit of a morbid streak. Growing up, she collected crime scene photos, and when she got older, she spent years as a crime reporter at the Las Vegas Sun. She actually met her husband, who's a former TV cameraman, while they were reporting on a murder. It's like the opposite of a meet-cute. I got a call one morning from my editor that there had been a double homicide in sort of a pretty quiet housing community. I got up really early. I went to the scene. It was all cordoned off, you know, 
police everywhere, TV stations everywhere, reporters everywhere. And so I was just sort of doing my thing and getting interviews, and I noticed this um, photographer from a, you know, a nearby TV station was also there, and we sort of, you know, looked at each other a couple of times and sort of, you know, oh, that guy's cute, whatever, she's cute, and moved on. And that ended up being my husband. Abigail's pieces, which, by the way, you can see on Crime Feed listeners, are not for everyone. So her artwork kind of blew up after her husband posted photos on Reddit. He says the reactions ranged from sleep with one eye open, dude, to we really love your wife. So I'm on team love it. Really, I think Abigail's work kind of encapsulates what's so unique about crime in Las Vegas. That there is a tension between fantasy and reality flickering right below the surface. That somehow, crimes there are about facade. I'm Amy Angelowitz for Investigation Discovery. And I'm Will Johnson. We're back for another season of What the Crime, the show where we look at the weirder, wilder side of crime, part of the Panoply Network. Lace your bets, listeners. Because this week we're going to Vegas, and I think Amy might be onto something with what she said before. Do you remember last season when we looked at why crime is so strange in Florida? Um, how could I forget? Well, in Florida, it feels like crime is about letting your freak flag fly. We talked about that. But in Vegas, it's more glittering lights, poker chips, showgirls, and debaucherous bachelorette parties. Exactly. It's like some slightly twisted, very entertaining version of the American dream. Part one, the best of Las Vegas crime. Question, Amy, have you ever been to Vegas? Uh, yes, a few times. One time that I'm remembering really stands out. I was a I was a part-time teacher at the time and had like less than $100 in my bank account. And my then boyfriend offered to pay for me to go because his friend was having this crazy weekend-long VIP party at one of the fanciest hotels on the Strip. I really felt pretty awkward eating Kobe beef and, you know, getting bottle service at the clubs when I didn't even have enough money to play the nickel slots. Talk about facade. What happened to that boyfriend? We broke up. Sounds nice guy. <laughs> My favorite Vegas memory uh, is waking up in a hotel room and there was a tiger in the bathroom. Mike Tyson showed up. What? Oh, I'm sorry. That's a movie. So Vegas comes up here a lot on Crime Feed. And what strikes me about crime in Vegas, beyond that fantasy quality we talked about, is how it really runs the full gamut of experience. You've got your silly crimes, like, like Will, have you heard about the anonymous fan who stole Willie Nelson's stuffed armadillo after a concert and then felt so bad about it that he drove it back to return it? I hadn't heard that one. That's great. And you've got your strange crimes, like the case of Gloria Lee, who we wrote about a while back. She owned the Prince and Princess Pet Shop and pled guilty to arson, insurance fraud, and cruelty to animals after letting a guy she was dating, in addition to her husband, I might add, douse the store in kerosene and set it on fire. And that included 25 puppies in their cages. They lit puppies on fire. Yes. Though you'll be very glad to know that all the dogs were saved and put up for adoption, they hopefully have a much better home now. Well, when I think of crime in Vegas, I think of sexy. Not like sexy, sexy, but like, you know, stripper pole in the bathroom, sexy. Does anyone have a stripper pole in their bathroom? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man, though, do I have a story for you. Okay, get ready. 26-year-old Christina LaFave met a man at a hotel casino, went upstairs to give him a $300 naked massage which I guess is a thing in Vegas. And uh, in the middle of this massage, Christina asked the man to take off his $35,000 Rolex watch so she could, you know, massage his arm. And she took the watch and she hid it. Where else? 
in her vagina. Here we go again. Why do people do that? <laughs> but I can also tell you that in this case, Christina found hiding the watch down there very, very uncomfortable. She was taken to a local hospital and uh, searched, uh, and the watch was returned to its owner the next day, and Christina pled guilty to possession of stolen property. That's an amazing story. Maybe it was an accident. She could have pled. Like, oh, that watch just fell into my vagina. Maybe. Uh, that's an amazing story. What else have you got for us? Well, I've got uh, 50-year-old Denise Gunderson, who was arrested last December in Las Vegas for allegedly stealing a wallet at a church. Oh, I don't think God would approve. Surely not, but it gets weirder. So detectives discovered that Denise was wanted for a string of thefts in Southern California, where she'd earned the name The Bridal Bandit. So Denise would show up at weddings, pretend to be a guest, and then she would nab the wallets of the bride, bridesmaids, attendees, venue staff, basically anything she could find. In one case, she made a purchase with a bride's stolen credit card just 24 minutes after the bride had walked down the aisle. Wow, she wasn't wasting any time at all. It's like a more illegal version of wedding crashers. So Denise pled guilty to grand theft and identity theft and will be sentenced soon. Notice that tension between fantasy and reality again? I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm pretty haunted by this last story I'm going to tell you, though. It's a tragic one, um, but I will say it does involve Elvis. Of course it does. It's Vegas, so now (laughs) let let us hear it. Uh, Not the real Elvis. His name was Dana McKay, um, and he was the first Elvis tribute artist to play the king in Legends in Concert. Um, Will, did you ever see that documentary, This is Elvis? I, I have heard of it. That was him. He was that guy. So, okay, here we go. In 1993, Dana and his girlfriend, former Mrs. Nevada Mary Huffman, were gunned down inside their Las Vegas mansion called Mini Graceland, aptly. Police at the time said that the two had walked in on a robbery, but friends and family just don't think that's the case. So they told the Las Vegas son a very, very different story. So Dana had been planning to leave the entertainment industry, and he had started a landscaping business with an associate. Um, And the business was up for this huge contract to line the Las Vegas Strip with palm trees. But the company dissolved, and uh, Dana and his ex-partner were fighting over what to do with the $100,000 in equipment that they'd purchased, and they were set to face off about this in court. Only Dana was killed before his court date. His friends and family believe it was a hit. Wow. Uh, so that, that is tragic. Oh, oh, there's more. Remember diorama maker Abigail Goldman? Well, she covered this case for The Sun in 2008, and uh, here's what she had to say about it. In many ways, that's that's a quintessential Vegas unsolved mystery in my mind. And what made you want to kind of report on it years after the fact? What was your fascination? I I had heard that there was a couple of detectives working for the Metropolitan Police Department on a closed case. Uh, you know, sort of capacity, and it was a mix of current active detectives at that, and then also retired guys. So I just went, you know, and said, what are you guys, what are you guys working on? What are you guys up to? You know, Abigail was really uh, intrigued by the specifics of the case. For example, uh, Dana had a daughter who, and she said this, that she remembers the last time she saw her dad, he was with a Marilyn Monroe impersonator at a funeral. Very strange. Very Vegas. Um, yeah, and, and even beyond that, Abigail was, was, was struck by Dana's aspirations. Here's what she wrote. Sweating and grinding in rhinestones isn't the easiest way to make ends meet. No, it never is. McKay had been working as an impersonator for years, and though he was good at it, he wasn't happy enough to spend the rest of his life on stage squeezed into a white jumpsuit. He had other plans. 
palm trees. It was an unusual murder. It, it you know, was sort of, the theory was it was staged to look like sort of a, a robbery or a break-in, but the victims in this case didn't have much stolen from them. Do you think it, there will ever be a breakthrough in the case? You know, what the detective said at the time was that, he, that this was a solvable case. I think in that case, someone or some someone knows something, and it's just going to be a question of when that person or persons are going to come forward and you know, reveal what they know. So I feel like we have that kind of warped version of the American dream all over again. Absolutely. And I think I'm kind of starting to understand it. In Vegas, there's all these attainable versions of fame and fortune. You're not the real Elvis. You're an Elvis impersonator. You don't have to work for years to make money. You can just go win big at the blackjack table. It's all about shortcuts. It's all about the facsimile. Kind of like Abigail's dioramas. You love those dioramas, don't you? I really enjoy her work. So what does Las Vegas' district attorney see as contributing to crime in the city? We talk to him after a break. Part 2. Why is Vegas a crime capital? Most DAs have seen it all, but that goes double for Las Vegas District Attorney Steve Wolfson, who appears on the investigation discovery show Las Vegas Law. I used to think that I couldn't be surprised, and then I'll go to work the next day and something will happen. I'll say, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. We asked Steve to talk us through some of the big ticket items contributing to crime in Las Vegas. The first factor he mentioned seems pretty obvious. Legal gambling. But this is something I've actually always wondered about. Why is gambling legal in Vegas? Well, Amy, I did some research on this, and it has a lot to do with Vegas's history. In 1930, only about 5,000 people lived there. And then the population boomed in 1931 with the construction of the Hoover Dam. You had men coming in for work from all across the country. The entertainment industry was growing up around them. And that year, the Nevada State Legislature legalized gambling and issued the first license to Las Vegas's Northern Club, it was called. From 1931 to 1978, Las Vegas was the only city in the U.S. where you could gamble legally. Interesting. So how does that connect to the crime there? Well, Steve put it kind of perfectly. Gambling can be addictive, and sometimes people will uh, get in over their head and not be able to meet their financial obligations, and some people turn to criminal activity. Um, over the years, I've, I've had a lot of experiences with people that end up stealing from their employer to either uh, pay their bills or to chase that gambling habit. Studies show that the presence of a casino correlates with an uptick in crime in the surrounding area. Not too surprising. In 2002, researchers looked at the social and economic impact of casinos opened by Native American tribes in the U.S. and found that violent crime, auto thefts, grand larceny, and bankruptcy rates all increased by 10% within four years of a casino opening in a county. That's with a casino, so imagine the impact of 75-plus casinos in one city. So I am curious about something else, though. Do casinos get robbed often? Why are you curious? <laughs> so, well, okay. So casinos have tight security, as you might imagine. But robberies do happen. Before we heard about the bridal bandit you told us about, now I'd like to introduce you to the biker bandit. Biker, like bicycle? No, Amy, a motorcycle. 
In December 2011, 29-year-old Anthony Carlio walked into a casino off the strip wearing a motorcycle helmet to conceal his identity. He held up a cashier for close to 19 grand. Then, as the Las Vegas Sun put it, escaped on a motorcycle into the night. A few days later, he tried the same move at one of the strip's most iconic casinos. This time, he walked away with $1.5 million in chips. He might actually have gotten away with it, except that he had a hard time getting rid of those stolen chips. He dropped one $25,000 chip in the pocket of a Salvation Army bell ringer. Wow. So he's like the angel of casino robbers. Absolutely. And I can also give you the devil, 34-year-old Scott Carmichael, who allegedly robbed the same casino in 2014. According to The Sun, he used his $43,000 haul to take four prostitutes out on a shopping spree. That's very uh, pretty woman of him. You know, actually, you mentioned something important there, prostitution, something I'm wondering about. How does prostitution contribute to crime in the city? Well, this may surprise you, Amy, and it actually surprised me. Prostitution is illegal in Las Vegas. Wait, what? Yep, prostitution is only legally sanctioned in eight counties outside of the city. And this misperception actually puts people at risk. It's not uncommon for people to, and and primarily tourists, go out and solicit a, a prostitute. And uh, a variety of things can happen. Number one, we have police officers that pose as undercover officers and uh, engage in the conversation with the John. And the next thing we know is we've got, you know, uh, John Smith businessman from Omaha, Nebraska, getting put in handcuffs and taken to jail for soliciting prostitution. Now we can go on to a subject of trick roll, which is when a prostitute uh, finds a John, they agree to go up to the John's room and exchange money for sex. And sometimes the prostitutes will drug their John. They'll slip something into his drink. Um, Or um, just before sex or just after sex, when the John goes to use the restroom, the prostitute will steal jewelry and cash and run out the door. In the state of Nevada, 66 times more money is spent on illegal prostitution than is spent on regulated brothels. So cases like this are more common than you'd think. And what about pimps? We haven't talked about pimps yet, and I feel like that's important. Yeah, what about the pimps? (laughs) You tell me. Well, the official charge is pandering, and it covers anyone who induces, persuades, encourages, entices, or compels a person to become a prostitute or to continue to engage in prostitution. I've got a case that illustrates how pandering contributes to crime in Las Vegas. In February 2014, Amar Harris, a self-proclaimed... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Pimp, according to the Daily Beast, was leaving a casino with two of his women. He pulled up alongside a Maserati driven by Kenneth Cherry Jr. Harris signaled to Cherry to roll down his window, and when Cherry said, Do I know you? Harris took it as an insult. Harris shot Cherry, killing him. Cherry's car careened out of control, hit a cab, causing the kind of explosion you see in a movie. But the driver of the cab and the passenger were killed. That's horrible. Very tragic. Spoiler alert. If you watch the premiere of Las Vegas Law, you saw how Steve and his team prosecuted Harris. And you also saw a side effect of this whole system. While two women were in the car with Harris at the time of the shooting, one of them refused to answer questions on the stand and put the whole case in jeopardy. People involved in the sex industry sometimes just don't make the most cooperative of witnesses. It's interesting. So, so Will, all this talk about the American dream is, is reminding me of The Godfather, and that's New York, obviously, but the movie Casino takes place in Vegas. So how does the mob kind of factor into crime in the city? Good question, Amy. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Kidding, but let's go on a field trip uh, to, to learn more. Great. All right, Amy, welcome. We're standing in downtown Las Vegas looking at a three-story building with columns carved in the front. City Hall, I'm thinking? Nope, this is the Mob Museum. It's a national museum dedicated to organized crime, and it opened in Vegas in 2012. I asked the museum's director of content, Jeff Schumacher, to take us inside and up to the second floor to check out the Open City exhibit. Well, Open City uh, is a phrase that was commonly used back in the day to describe Las Vegas. If you think about New York City or Chicago, you know that there are certain uh, mafia families or mob organizations that would control those cities. And if somebody else wanted to come in and, and you know, try to, uh, to uh, do something, that those mafia families or mob organizations would have a problem with that. Any, any organized crime outfit could get involved in Las Vegas. There, was no, there were no restrictions. The mob played a huge role in the growth of Las Vegas from about 1945 to about 1980. And the reason is very simple. Uh, they were the ones who built the casinos. Banks weren't loaning money for casinos in those days. The mob, though, they were the ones who created the, the aura that surrounded Las Vegas at that time. Uh, people wanted to come to Las Vegas in part because they thought they just might rub shoulders with a mobster. As you watch people walk through the museum, what kind of reactions do you see? What do you think really sticks with visitors to the Mob Museum? The biggest takeaway from the Mob Museum, I think for a lot of people, is that it's a real museum. Uh, we have a pair of handcuffs 
uh, on display that were used to arrest Tony Spilatro in the early 1980s. Tony Spilatro was a real person, and he was played by Joe Pesci in the movie Casino. I mean, we have uh, a cigarette case that was owned by Meyer Lansky, uh, who it was given to him by his wife in like 1933. If you if you're tired of Britney Spears and other Las Vegas acts, <laughs> there, there's there are options. That's correct, and you get up close and personal on some really amazing artifacts tied to individuals uh, from mob history and from law enforcement history. Very interesting, Will. I buy a diorama, you go to the Bomb Museum. So does the mob still play a big role in Las Vegas? Good question. Again, not anymore. And you'll be pleased to hear the district attorney, Steve Wolfson, actually doesn't include this on his list of reasons behind Vegas crime today. Organized crime of yesteryear is is no longer present in Las Vegas. We do have other kinds of what I would call organized crime, and those are some of the gang members. Uh, we have uh, some of the traditional gangs that uh, have come into town from Southern California. We also have some gangs from overseas. Wow, I feel like so much of what I've assumed about Vegas actually isn't true. Well, we're just getting started busting the myths. After the break, we have lots more to share, including how what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas came to be. Part three, why is Vegas a crime capital? Continued. Okay, so we've talked about gambling, prostitution, the mob, and that sense of attainable fame and fortune. Will, what other factors are fueling crime in Vegas? Well, Amy, the next one starts with dra and ends with inking. I'll let Las Vegas District Attorney Steve Wolfson explain. Well, we're a 24-7 town. People like to drink and people like to party. So uh, unlike many other towns where the streets uh, fold up at night, not Las Vegas. And that presents problems uh, around the clock. So you know what doesn't go well with drinking from a law enforcement point of view? Driving. That's a given. I was actually referring to the heat. Steve sees Las Vegas' location in the desert as having an effect on crime, especially given the alcohol consumption. Okay, I'm going to stop you here. So when we did our Florida episode, people pointed out the heat as a major contributing factor to crime there. And I'm just... You know what? I'm just not sure I'm totally buying it because I am from Arizona where it's just as hot, if not hotter than Vegas. And Arizona is not known for its crazy crime. I didn't know you're from Arizona. I am. Well, I know you're you're a skeptic, right? Mm-hmm. But okay, so get, hear me out here. Steve stresses that life is actually harder for his department in the summer. You know, and we get temperatures into the, you know, 112s, 114s, and 116s. And a lot of times people can't control themselves when it's hot. We have road rage incidents, or we have people that attend outdoor barbecues and parties. And once again, I come back to the ingestion of alcohol. Heat can cause people to act out a little more. Okay, fine. I believe him. He knows what he's talking about. He does indeed. He points out another big reason why Las Vegas' desert location is notable. And what is that? The proximity to Los Angeles. It's made Vegas an oasis for celebrities. From the Rat Pack era to the present, when promoters pay reality stars like Holly Madison and the cast of Jersey Shore big bucks to hang out at clubs. Although Holly Madison is not hanging out at clubs anymore. She She, had a baby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, the celebrity culture brings a unique kind of 
tabloid crime. Oh, yeah. Like when uh, Paris Hilton was arrested for cocaine possession. So that was the big one. About a year <laughs> later, Bruno Mars did 200 hours of community service to have his record wiped of the same charge. And I should mention that Las Vegas is where Tupac was killed, where the memorabilia heist that landed O.J. Simpson in prison took place, and more recently where Lamar Odom ended up on life support after visiting a brothel in a nearby county. I asked Steve about celebrity crime. Are there celebrity cases in Vegas maybe that didn't get the media attention that, that you might have uh, feared or expected? Yeah, but those are the ones I can't talk to you about. <laughs> uh, and, you know, once in a while, something will sneak under the radar. But most of the celebrities that get in trouble, it makes the front page of the newspaper and the 6 o'clock news. And that brings us to tourism. Notice how almost all of the things we've talked about so far involve someone traveling to the city. Well, that's not a coincidence. We have 42 million visitors a year. That's about 110,000 visitors a day. And those visitors, uh, tourists, uh, are in addition to our 2 million residents. So when you've got such an influx of tourists, that by itself makes us a different kind of city. 42 million tourists? That is insane. Yeah, it is. Vegas is a destination for conferences, yes, but also for elopements, quickie weddings, bachelorette parties, bachelor parties, naughty weekend getaways, even, of course, family vacation. And it comes back to that idea of the attainable American dream. Can't see the real Eiffel Tower? Well, you can go to Vegas to see one. You can't visit Egypt or Venice? Casinos emulate those places, too. According to the L.A. Times, tourism accounts for 366,000 jobs in the Vegas Valley, and about 43% of people who live in Vegas are employed in the tourism industry. Tourism generates more than $50 billion annually. So tourism is basically powering the whole area. Yeah, you could say that. And Steve puts it like this. I mean, very, very, very few of our tourists commit crimes. But some of our criminals certainly look at tourists as targets um, for a variety of reasons. A lot of our tourists uh, come into town. Uh, They like to have a good time. Uh, Good time sometimes means to ingest in alcohol and to party. And a lot of our tourists gamble, so they have cash uh, at their disposal. So some of our criminal element uh, realizes this and takes advantage and preys on people because obviously if you're under the influence of alcohol, you're potentially more susceptible. And savvy criminals are, of course, targeting tourists. And Steve has more on that. So a lot of people come in from all over the world and some of our more sophisticated criminals realize that. It is less likely for somebody from um, Japan, China, Uh, the Middle East, uh, Europe, to come back uh, and cooperate and participate in the criminal justice system. They may throw their hands up and say, forget it, I don't want to go back to Vegas. So from a prosecutor's standpoint, we need our witnesses to be able to present our case. So if uh, criminals pick on tourists, there's that very real problem of an ability to present a case. I never thought of that. Me neither. And it brings us to the final factor that makes crime in Las Vegas different. It's not just that people sense a more attainable version of the American dream in Vegas. Vegas actually markets itself as the destination for glittery debauchery where you can be someone other than yourself. Crime Feed correspondent Barry Blitch tells us about a trip she took to Vegas. There are plenty of cliche ways to celebrate your 21st birthday, and my best friend and I decided we would take advantage of all of these for our joint birthday, and we went to Vegas. 
course, our lovely parents wanted to join. They wanted in on Vegas to relive their youth, let it all go, and because it's Vegas, why not? So this made me all wonder, how did Las Vegas become a playground for adults? Vegas has been known as Sin City since the beginning. According to historian Michael Green, the name originally referred to a single block in the city, Block 16, which gained notoriety in the early 1900s for its drinking establishments, with brothels in the back. Officials didn't approve, but they turned a blind eye, even through prohibition. As Vegas grew into the entertainment capital we know today, the name Sin City came to refer to the whole area. In 1999, Oscar Goodman, noted mob lawyer, took office as mayor of Vegas. Then the city was being marketed as a family destination. In an interview with Larry King, Oscar says it was his idea to move towards selling the city as an adult playland. The family approach, he said, wasn't Las Vegas. He tasked the advertising agency R&R Partners with finding a new approach. And I bet everyone listening knows what they came up with. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yep, bingo. The agency shared the insight that led them to the famous line. The emotional bond between Las Vegas and its customers was freedom. The freedom to be someone they couldn't be at home. When my Motley 21st birthday crew rolled up in Vegas in the limo that we had to get from the airport, I was overwhelmed by how every one of your five senses is stimulated to the max. You've probably heard casinos traditionally don't have clocks or windows that give you the sense that you've been gambling for hours. But for me, what really stood out was the smell. Yeah, the smell. So every time you walk in a hotel, there's a new signature scent being pumped through it. So I wasn't too surprised to come across a story on businesspundit.com that alleged that some casinos pump in extra oxygen and even pheromones to keep gamblers feeling lively. So could someone ever claim that this manufactured environment led them to commit a crime? One Las Vegas law firm certainly seems to think so. According to a blog post by Michael Periente of Periente Law Firm, this defense would be called entrapment by estoppel. In other words, someone could say they were officially misled. The law firm writes, quote, The city of Las Vegas can't expect to make millions of dollars from this successful advertising campaign and then prosecute people for doing what they've been led to believe they can do. As for my 21st birthday, the most law-unabiding thing we did was break out some criminally bad dance moves. And I can't tell you anymore. You know why. We've told you our Vegas stories, and now we want to hear yours. Visit us on Twitter at ID Crime Feed and tell us all your sordid Vegas tales in 140 characters or less. Or if you need a little more space, head to Facebook.com slash Crime Feed. We promise not to call the cops. Well, maybe. We started this episode talking with artist Abigail Goldman, whose crime scene dioramas are available on her website at abigailgoldman.com. Each of them, to me, seems to embody something unique about crime in Las Vegas and how it plays on this idea of attainable fantasy. But I was curious, how did her time in Las Vegas as a crime reporter influence her work? I feel like I never have a very satisfying answer because... I don't make dioramas that are based on real things or real cases or any you know things that I'm personally aware of. I think maybe if it influenced me, it was on sort of a subconscious level. Covering crimes in Las Vegas where you tend to have pretty spectacular crimes, that kind of permeates 
your worldview in a lot of ways. Anyone listening to this podcast probably has a fundamental interest in crime and crime coverage, so I feel like you guys all understand. That we do, Abigail. We certainly do. Before we go here, let's recap a few really helpful things to remember for those of you planning to travel to Vegas sometime soon. Uh, First of all, yes, you can buy all-night drinks in Vegas. You can gamble and party hard with celebrities. But some relatively benign things will actually get you in trouble there. Uh, For starters, in Las Vegas, it's illegal to regularly feed the homeless in public parks. While some have reported that it's illegal to drive camels and dromedaries in Vegas, you'll be relieved to know that law was actually repealed in 1899. It is still, however, illegal to own a wildebeest or new, according to some. And it's also illegal to pawn dentures in Las Vegas, although it's unclear if pawn shop owners are actually known to uphold this rule. So go, be merry, enjoy that bachelorette party, get high off all that extra oxygen in the casino. Win big at blackjack, but don't let any illusions of grandeur lead you astray. And keep your dentures in your mouth, please, because those actually can't stay in Vegas. Next week on What the Crime, what does it mean to take a visit to the Boneyard? Tune in and find out. What the Crime is presented by Investigation Discovery, America's leading mystery and suspense network. It's written and researched by Kate Torgovnik May. Hosted by Will Johnson, Emily Kaiser, Barry Blitch, and Amy Angelowitz, also known as me. The show is produced by Paul Yannis and Liz Massey. It's recorded and mixed by Joe Powers, edited by Will Johnson, music by Lewis Weeks, and artwork by Anon Galat. What the Crime is on iTunes, as we always tell you, and we invite you to go on there and subscribe. We thank you for joining us again this season, and we will see you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.